Holloway, United Methodist Church here in Robinson, Minnesota. My name is Dr. Randy Haber. Many of you have been writing in and you've been calling in and, and you really appreciate our service on 980 AM. That will be coming to a close the latter part of um, this month. I will be speaking the last uh, Friday of the month and kind of bringing it towards a conclusion. Others that have enjoyed our service by way of television. Um, my apologies for the, the bulletin. Our computer is down and we just got our computer up and going. And we should have bulletins, but we did um, run off a, somewhat of an order of service. I want to thank Margie for being with us today and she'll be playing music. But let us all stand as, as Boone leads us in the Nicene Creed. Would you stand and repeat the Nicene Creed? We believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the forgiver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is the Father and the Son, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the light of the rule of the tongue. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Glenn. This time, Mike, would you come forward and, and lead us responsibly? And then um, share with us this morning what God has laid on your heart. Responsive meeting for the incarnate Christ. And as Mike is coming, it's a real honor. I know that Winterboro family's been going through some real difficult times, um, and you've completed the year, your um, your radiation therapy. And we want to present um, Joe Curtis today. Would you want to come up and? Receive this part of God's theme here. And Mike, whenever you're ready, and Joseph shooting his pictures, pictures. But let's give Joe a round of applause. He's um, finished uh, that nine weeks, right? Seven weeks. Okay, I got that. That's why I'm still going strong. Well, bless you. Look at that USA. Amen. Let's give Joe a round of applause. Amen. 
Mike is going to be um, sharing responsibly 631, and then immediately he's going to go into the scripture and his message for today. The incarnate Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of the There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. The same came for a to bear witness of the light, and all men to him might He was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man has seen God any time. Only God the Son. Take out your Bibles now and turn to Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. In that, those verses, we see that Job knew that he had a Redeemer to rescue him and then prophesied that God himself, as Jesus, will come to earth and stand on him. He mentioned that. God lives, and so will he. This is quite clear in verse 26. He says there that after death, leaving his destroyed flesh behind, we'll see God himself and be brought back to life. He should show acknowledgement of life after his death. Verse 27 must have been really frustrating for Satan. After all he had done, he'll go away from God. He didn't. He had moved. Job, Job said God was the one and only and repeated that he will see him after he finds God. Now we're going to turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. I'll read it. Jesus said to her, I am going to resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The first thing you notice here is Jesus saying, I am. That is a claim to absolute divinity. 
That was Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the Bible, he's saying, I am God. I am that I am. Jesus was speaking this day to Martha. And Jesus knew that Martha had known about eternal life. But what Martha didn't know was eternal life that Jesus was going to speak to her about. Because Jesus pointed out that yes, there was an eternal life, but he also brought up to her that there was a resurrection. And that he was the key to eternal life. His statement in this verse goes further than just saying, well, I'm alive. In that way, he spoke. He first said he was alive. And it is eternal life. Certainly, life means physical death for the body. That's how I great things. But well, I'm alive right now, but someday I won't be. Because the body, our bodies will go back from when they came to the ground. However, faith in Jesus guarantees an eternal, eternal life for our spiritual selves after the body is dead and buried. The next passage is Luke 16, verse 23 to 28. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus, Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out to them, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Don't touch my tongue, for I am anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. It's been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to there will not be able to. And none may cross to the other side. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. This passage introduces us to Hades, or hell. Hell is literally translated, and Hades is literally translated. Waiting place for the dead. This waiting place is completely separate from God. And yet the saints with God can still be seen in the distance. Evil rich man died and of course went to hell. But he, when he looks up, he can see the Lazarus and Abraham. The man yelled over this impossible and penetrable chapter and tells Abraham. To have Lazarus simply dip his finger in the water and come across and touch his tongue with it. 
So that can be relieved a little bit when the cold water touches his tongue. It, Abraham tells him that ain't going to happen. On earth, you receive good things and luxury, you became rich and so forth. But Lazarus had a bad life. He was considered evil by others. And he didn't have all the luxuries that you enjoyed. But then he follows up by saying the bold office. There is a great chasm, impenetrable, a crossbow chasm between you and him. So him dipping his finger in the water and coming across will not happen. Then the tormented and frustrated man begs him to warn his brothers at his father's house so they will not end up in hell like he did. Abraham mentions that they have most in the prophets to listen to. And they should listen to him. But now listening to them is exactly what got that rich man put into hell. That's what he did do, was listen to Moses and the prophets. It's interesting here that the man in hell had them to follow to him. But they, he didn't. Now he's where you he, can see those experiences of comfort and peace from inside burning after death. Now Hades or hell has made all the worse because they can, can communicate with people in heaven, but they can't cross over. They can't get one little tiny fraction of relief from the flame, from the hell that they're in. That, to me, just kind of blew my mind. To make hell even worse, they can see people in heaven living with peace and ease. It's got to be luxury compared to hell, flames of hell. That makes hell even worse. All the more worse. Because they can see communicate with people in heaven, but they can't have any further contact with them. They can't ease their pain. They can't relieve their, their burning. But they can see across the chest to the people sitting in complete peace and luxury of heaven with the risen Christ. Would you, Janet, stand with me and repeat the Lord's Prayer? Let us stand. Thank you, Mike. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And now you Tina's not with us today, is she? Keep, keep Tina in your thoughts and prayers. She, yeah, she's been a little reluctant to allow me to put her name on the prayer chain. Um, I don't know, do I get your permission there? 
she can. The one you check with, Mike. You're a smart husband. As we um, prepare, we only have like, is it 25 minutes and 43 seconds for? 24 minutes, 40 seconds, point three nine. My name is Dr. Randy Tabor from all of the United Methodist Church. It's always been a privilege to come into your homes by way of radio and television. Um, Mike shared with you from Job, the 14th chapter, the fourth verse. If a person dies, if a person dies, shall they live again? That's a question as we as Christians, we gather, gather each and every Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Sometimes we think Monday's the first day of the week, but in reality, when you look at your calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week. This question has been asked more often than any other. Many by way of radio and television ask that question. What does a funeral director really bury? And there is a, a catalog of answers. The real answer, and the only answer, is to be found in the, the realm of faith. The realm of faith. You may argue whether or not it's admissible evidence. Job answers his own question by saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Can you say that with me? I know that my Redeemer liveth. And at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin, even this body is destroyed, then without my flesh, Job says, shall I see God? Job is the, the oldest book in the Bible, even though it, it follows Genesis and creation, Job. And that's a question that's been asked of all religions and all denominations and faith. Job answers it by saying, without my flesh shall I see God, whom even I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not as a stranger. Job chapter 19. 25 through 27. Now this isn't, let me say isn't, and wasn't a hypothesis or a theory for Job. It was an established fact. His, his confidence was unwavering, such confidence you and I need to focus in on today. Jesus answers, I am the resurrection and the life. They who believeth in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 11, chapter the 25th verse. No one, I challenge you by way of television or radio, no one in history has duplicated that claim. How could he prove it? He said, Jesus said to his opponents, Tear down his temple. Tear down his temple, speaking of his body. And in three days, I will build it up. I will build it up. See John, the second chapter, the 19th verse. 
That was the challenge. That was the challenge. He, he either did or he didn't. That's the question that stands before you by way of television and the way of radio. And we have many agnostics and atheists that listen to our television programs and our in our radio programs, and there's there's no greater compliment when somebody calls in and somebody writes in and says, you know, I was a firm atheist, I was a firm agnostic, and now I'm a believer, and I have the joy of the Lord. And the burden of proof is upon you non-believers to prove to everyone's satisfaction that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Israel the Jews at that time, they accepted his challenge. And they did such a thorough job of, of death, crucifixion, scourging, nails to the palms, spear in the side, nails to the ankles. They did such thorough preparation for burial and, and precautionary measures as ever has been placed on record. And then something happened on the third day. That has never been satisfactorily explained by the enemies of Jesus. All the problems that remain or all the problems are solved in the rejection or the acceptance of that event. Every undertaker, and I have known many, every undertaker, every preacher, every mourner, Every corner, every cemetery employee faces that event. Faith or ridicule finds its target in Jesus of Nazareth. It is his challenge. Now, if the resurrection is a fact, immortality is a fact, if the grave could not hold my Savior, neither should it hold you or I. Because Jesus lives, we shall live. John, the 14th chapter, the 19th verse says. And this is a, a kind of a conclusion of faith. Unless the casket, the burial, and the crumbling of the body end it all, there is consciousness. There is a soul. There is a spirit. There's no sensation of being. You and I are not in that casket. But where, where, where are we? That question comes to my mind whenever I um, stand before a casket. I, I ask that question. It could be me. It could be you. And it's always interesting to overhear people talking by the body and saying, isn't he or she is so lovely. There are two classes. The fact is not changed with embalming. There are, there are the good, and there are the Bidens, or the, um, the Badens, or the, the bad. There's the good and the, the bad. Death does not make the unrighteous righteous. That would make disease and and the interior, in the interment, interments superior to Calvary. If you threw mud 
if you, you threw mud at at someone while they're alive, why change your offering to flowers after departure? You're talking about the same person. A little boy said to his mother after reading the, the writing on the tombstone, Mama, where are the bad people buried? Now there's a difference between now and, and then. These two classes do not live in the same place. And here's available information. You may accept it or dis disregard it. One day soon, you will have a personal opportunity to check on the accuracy of this information. I'm going to be doing a funeral service for a fellow that came to this church and blessing the bikes, John Smith. His mother was working on him, except Bryce. John always had a hard time. He says, I, I don't believe him. And his wife just told me two days ago, or his girlfriend, that now John is a believer, either for good or bad. I quote from an unimpeachable source, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ's account of the rich man and Lazarus, you will find these words. There is a great gulf. A great gulf that's fixed that, that they that would pass from hence may not be able and that none may cross over as Mike so vividly displayed in Luke 16 chapter 26 verse. Now this information has been ridiculed by many. Others have spiritualized it and distorted it beyond recognition. Nevertheless, it is the word of the Son of God. If Jesus were untruthful about this, Jesus may be judged untruthful about many other matters. Jesus gave it to us in stark, very stark and awful reality, and as plainly as any matter could be put. Jesus did not leave any guesswork. Jesus said bad people are headed towards a bad place. Jesus described it as torment. It's kind of like going through radiation therapy, isn't it, Joe? It's torment. Jesus said that such people thought, that such people spoke, such people hungered, such people thirst, and then such people remembered. Beyond the imaginable, they either do or they don't. Do you have any final proof that they don't? Jesus said there was a wide entrance, but no exit. Wide is the gateway to hell and destruction, but narrow is the gateway to heaven and truth. Jesus said that bad people go there immediately. There's no probation, there's no bail, there's no parole. The undertaker Taker cannot deny you or I. Your insurance agent cannot ask for a postponement. Your lodge brothers cannot ransom you. 
You arrive at detention at once. There is no sleeping in the grave. Some of our beloved Jehovah Witnesses feel there's just sleeping, 144,000. The casket may be expensive, and the cushions may be soft, and your pallbearers may be gentle, but you won't be there to rest for a spell. What you have earned in life by profanity, by infidelity, by irreverence, by selfishness, by robbery from God, by scorn of his Bible, begins at once. There is no delay. The Bible says no delay in the wages of sin. I can assure you that you do not have to wait until that lake of fire to know whether you are lost. Take Christ's word for it. The one that believeth, Jesus said, the one that believeth not is condemned already. John 3, 18. And how we remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you and I that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him and trusts him, adheres to his word, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. But then we fail to remember those words of John 3, 18, just a few verses later, where Jesus says, the one that believeth not is, is condemned already. What you are dragging around in your soul, I wouldn't carry for all the world. There's no time off for an appeal to the courts. Your sentence begins the moment that you depart. Christ made it very plain that the rich man's doom wasn't eternal spite against the wealthy. He went on to the bad place because he would not believe Moses. He would not believe the prophets. And he tried to convince him to believe in him. If you choose to disregard the road signs and if you choose to disregard the available highway information, don't, don't blame either the weather conditions or the lack of the road repairs for heading north instead of south. That's your option to believe or to ignore. And that is your praise or your blame and you alone are are responsible. This morning you may have a, a right to ask the question, what constitutes good? And what constitutes badness? That's a very sane and that's a very proper question. And the answer can be spelled out. You and I, by nature, are, are bad. Romans 3.10 says, there, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's this badness. And Romans 3.23 says that all of us, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that we, think that we face the same penalty. Each one we face. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, for, for as though one person, sin entered the world through Adam and death through sin, so death passed unto all. 
for all your sin. Now God has provided a remedy for sin. When I accept that remedy, I escape the penalty. And here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. Him who know no sin was made to be sin. That means Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. On our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. That is either the truth or it's a lie. Now the best proof is, is a personal test. You have no right to claim it's untrue until you have given yourself to Christ. Do it and you see what happens. I've witnessed it dozens and hundreds of thousands of people and those who have accepted Christ, either by way of television or radio or one-on-one. -on -one. They've always found Jesus to be true and faithful. Accept Jesus and the penalty is removed. Reject Jesus and, and you must handle the penalty yourself. Have you any arrangements for, for your sins and mine? From this alternative, there is no escape. You ask me, suppose I do my best without Christ. Will that be sufficient? Suppose you make $50,000 a year and you fail to pay the required income tax. The federal government asks, why did you fail to pay your fair share and tax payment? And you answer, well, I, I always stood for, for the cross, and stood for the flag, and kneeled for the cross. I, I always waved the flag, and I, I could sing the Star Spangled Banner from memory, loud and clear, and, and with my heart, my hand always over my heart. I always thought patriotic thoughts. I bought postage stamps that bore the images of past presidents. I carried out my neighbor's garbage. And I thought that would be sufficient. I've entered a claim for all of that. Well, you are welcome to a real adventure with the Internal Revenue Service. Take my advice, don't try it. Yet there are those who know what God says, what the Almighty says. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 says that without holiness, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. And we become holy by accepting Jesus, that blood of Christ, that body is broken. Who will argue against being made holy and righteous through Jesus Christ, the Savior? If you don't accept the truth, you'll have to pay the consequences. Where do the good go, the saved go? The Apostle Paul placed his trust in Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I have a desire. I have a desire to depart. I have a desire to be with Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 1.23. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 8, it says, I have a desire to be absent from the body and to be at home, at home of the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that each of us are experiencing a temporary deployment here upon earth. This is not our home. I couldn't ask for anything better than to be with Jesus. And 
you could not ask for anything better than to be with Jesus and to be at home with the Lord. That's all the heaven that I can imagine. It's been all the heaven I've ever needed. You and I, the scriptures say, are created in the image of God. It's necessary to care for a used and abandoned body. It should be done decently. I think the undertaker is right when he closes the casket as quickly as possible. For what you see is only a reminder of someone you knew. I'll be a little outspoken with you where heaven is, where hell is. I don't really know. I've heard of thousands, thousands who seem to know. And you probably heard use the word hell. They are always sending people to hell. You could probably get reliable information from them. They use the word constantly. I, I want to say, stay away from that place as far as possible. And I'm practicing right here on this planet, staying away from all the little, little hells that exist. The question is not the location, the question is, is the choice. By way of television, by way of radio, the choice is, I know this, that God urges you and I to choose. God urges us to choose heaven. I know that God is on the side of the attractive. Health is attractive. And health becomes increasingly attractive when you struggle with an illness. We take too much for granted when it comes to health. I know music is attractive and you find it much more attractive when you're without it. I know that congenial companionship is attractive. You've ever been alone for any period of time in a clear conscience. A clear conscience is attractive. And I know this, that, that sin is unattractive, that despair is unattractive, that anguish is unattractive, that the deteriorating habits that are wearing on our bodies are unattractive, and that loss of any kind is unattractive. It shouldn't be too difficult for you to make a choice and it wouldn't be a second after the doctor tells your wife you are gone, or your husband, your wife is gone. Christ urges hindsight to be foresight. It says in scripture that in hell he, he being in torment cried and prayed for my father's house, for I have five brethren, lest they come into this place, Luke chapter 16. That sinners doesn't want one relative to join him. There wasn't one thing about hell that he could recommend. A man saved very late in life, lay dying. He'd been very, a very wild and wicked and wayward person. And I visited him on his deathbed. He had kicked out a number of clergy previously. And on my first 
two visits, he wouldn't even talk to me. And the third visit, he said, get out of my room. And the fourth visit, he told me, didn't you hear what I told you and tried to suggest in the previous four visits? I visited him the fifth time on his deathbed. I read from the Bible to this dying man the precious, precious account of, of salvation was still so new to this elderly man that he, he listened with some profound interest. And then I sang. I sang a, a song that's very close to my heart. And it goes like this. I, I am now a child of God. For I am washed in Jesus' blood. I'm watching and I'm longing while I wait. Soon on eagle's wings of love I'll fly to my home beyond the sky, to my welcome as I am sweeping through the gale and gate, that in the blood of the yonder land, washed from every stain I am, robed in whiteness, clad in brightness, I am sweeping through the gate. And suddenly this elderly man began to laugh. He began to laugh. And I, I asked, why are you laughing? And tears began to trickle down the old man's cheeks like, like a rainbow after the, the rain. And he says, I was, I was thinking. He said, I was thinking, fancy an old sinner like me being robed. Robed in whiteness and, and clad in brightness and righteousness. Jesus Christ made that possible. Jesus Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No, no one cometh unto the Father but through the Son, Jesus. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and by way of radio, this is a very sacred moment. Whenever John and Charles Wesley's mother, Susanna, would want to spend a special time in prayer, she'd just take her apron and she'd throw it up over her head. And all those 17 children would realize that that was their mother's time of prayer. And they really believed that they were praying for one of the 17, and Susanna would say, Yes, she was in prayer. That was her private time. We don't have aprons on. There may be someone by way of radio or television that's wearing an apron. You can choose your private time to repeat these words. Would you repeat these words? Dear Jesus, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the things that I've done. And left undone. Forgive me, O oh Lord. Come into my heart and life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me now as you as you exit, you may um, thank those who have sent in financial gifts. It is a real ministry if you want to be able to share
by way of television and by way of radio. We appreciate your prayer support and your financial gifts. And would you join me in the Apostle Creed, printed in your bulletins. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he arose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you play while we're still standing the doxology? Thank you. 